we're continuing in our uh, journey through the series on spiritual warfare. And I started this, planned to start this series last year. And um, one of the reasons is that it's very misunderstood, right, especially among Baptists. What's the spiritual warfare business? You know, what's, what's going on there? And especially those who aren't used to church, um, it can be very confusing, and we'll talk about that. Let's start out with the definition of spiritual warfare. Uh, and um, it is the ongoing battle between God's people and the forces of Satan. So first part, we've de- dealt with a few weeks ago that our enemies are not flesh and blood. Rather, our enemies are the three S's, Satan, the systems, the fallen systems of the world, and our own sin. That's where the battle happens. So it's the ongoing battle between God's people and the forces of Satan, wherein God's people stand in the armor of God. We talked about that, the armor of God and what that is, and then advance God's kingdom through the gospel. Now, that's the last part that I want to focus on today, advance God's kingdom through the gospel. And that can get some people nervous, especially when we're talking about warfare and all that. Well, what does this mean? We're going to talk about what it doesn't mean and what it does mean, advancing God's kingdom. Notice it's advancing God's kingdom through the gospel. So many times throughout history, folks have gotten this part wrong, right? Advancing God's kingdom where... The gospel is so radical. Jesus is so countercultural and radical that we can't get it into our minds that our leader died for the sins of others. That's how he won under certain uh, uh, Political powers on our side, that's the world's way of advancing interests. But Jesus' way of advancing the kingdom was to die for his enemies. Amazing. So when we talk about advancing God's kingdom, we talk about advancing it through the gospel, not physical battles, not occupying geography or places of political power, but advancing the good news of Jesus into people's hearts and then transforming their lives where God's kingdom is that, again, defeats that inner enemy of sin and then transforms our hearts step by step and becomes more and more uh, victor in our hearts. But yes, you can't, You know, so many people get this wrong throughout history, misunderstand the nature of spiritual warfare. Um, A good example or bad example, I guess, would be, I mean, think about the, the medieval Holy Roman Empire, which was neither holy nor Roman. Um, But one of the things that is, all right, you know, we're, the, you know, where the, the, the Christian church and, the, and this empire was merged, and so they would go and defeat the Germanic hordes and force baptize them. Say, all right, if you want to live, go walk through this water. Totally misunderstanding that, wait a minute, Jesus died for these people, and so now you're threatened to kill them if they don't sort of, you know, say Jesus is their, their Lord. Uh, I think of the Crusades, where, um, again, the Holy Roman Empire would say, uh, you know, the Jerusalem is under the control of Muslims. 
So it's about 1,000K. Before there was Y2K, you know, the 2,000 things are going to go down. There was Y1K, right? But they didn't worry about their internet connection going down. But they thought, oh, Jesus is probably going to come back after 1,000 years. So let's take, let's take Jerusalem back for God. And so they, what happened is they invaded and they took this territory of Jerusalem thinking they were advancing God's kingdom, but what happened? All right, well, you had this temporary control of a city. You had lots of people dead, and you had some people who had a false conversion because they really didn't believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus was Lord. They were just doing that to stay alive. And But long term, what was the impact on the kingdom of God? It was... It was destructive because now when you go and try to share the love of Jesus in a Muslim nation, there is all sorts of, in fact, you, you might have heard. that uh, the campus ministry, Campus Crusade for Christ, right? They changed their name to Crew. Why? Well, because they realized Campus Crusade, that puts a wall up to Muslims that's already there. It just reinforces it. See, this misunderstanding, what does it mean to advance the kingdom of God? It's through the gospel. That is the means by which Christ's victory goes throughout the world, throughout the nations, and it changes people's hearts, and it defeats Satan, and it's so countercultural. It's so counter what we're uh, the the earthly way of doing things that Christians keep getting it wrong over and over again. And so, one of the reasons that we're going through this series on spiritual warfare is Satan loves to take what's supposedly a victory and turn it into defeat. And he can do that when instead of proclaiming the victory that Jesus died for our sins, rose from the dead, and was seen by many people. And we can be concerned with sort of a, a, a gaining political power or things like that. That does not advance God's kingdom. So how do we? How do we advance God's kingdom? Again, it's through the gospel, through the gospel, where Jesus' victory over sin, Satan, and the worldly systems is meant to go through all the earth. And we ultimately do that by sharing the gospel. So if that's the method by which we extend God's kingdom, the gospel, we better know what the real gospel is because the gospel transforms hearts. If, if um, through the gospel, again, eternities are changed. One of the reasons I, I like to maintain this language about spiritual warfare is that, all right, it's not literal warfare, but it's warfare in the heavenly places and that there's life, this is life and death importance. It's eternal life and death importance. And because of that, we should expect things at wartime, difficulty, a hardship, all of that. So what is the gospel? We need to get that right. Well, let's look at the scriptures, right? The Bible defines what the gospel is for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you want to know where, where can I find, what is, where's the gospel defined? We find it in 1 Corinthians 15. This is the apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, now I would, would, 
excuse me, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he's saying, I'm going to remind you of the gospel. He says, for I delivered to you as first importance what I received. What he did deliver? He delivered the gospel. And now he's going to give the definition of what is the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and then a whole mess of other people. It's very simple. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And then he rose again on the third day. He died death. And that is sin. That is Satan. When Jesus rose from the dead, it, he was proclaiming, no, I have victory. Death can't hold me down. Satan can't hold me down. The, even the sins of the world can't hold me down. And he, was risen, he rose victorious over that. And, and so that's good news because the, the fact is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's one of our memory verses, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that we were meant, glory is his prayer. presence. We were made to be in God's glorious presence. If we fall short of that, we all fall short of that. So we need to in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the gospel. Believe in your heart the gospel. You will be saved. So that is the good news. So by, by faith, believing in your heart, Christ's victory can be your victory. It can be my victory. And it, was a his, it happened in history. Why, you think, why does it talk about all these eyewitnesses? Why does that matter? It matters because Jesus is not just an idea. It's not just a concept. He was a living, breathing person, the Son of God, become flesh, dwelt among us, and then he died. He gave his life, and he literally rose from the dead so that that victory can be your victory. It, it flips conventional warfare on its head. Right? Normally, how do you get victory? Well, you, you kill your enemies. Jesus had victory by dying for his enemies. The gospel is the news of victory through self-sacrificial love. And this victory, it happened in history, but it's continuing to advance today. It advances in our hearts. It advances throughout the nation so that if today you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's not just something that happened in the past, although it did. It's a historical event. It, the victory spreads today in hearts and minds throughout the nations. Now, because we live in between times, meaning Jesus won victory um, on the cross by defeating Satan in our own sin and the systems of the world, and that full and final 
establishment of God's heavenly kingdom, where God actually destroys sin and Satan and all that, where it's done once and for all. We're in between times now, where that victory, Jesus, his, that, that victory, he wants you to share in that victory. So that in between these times, he tells his disciples, now Jesus gives us a task. He says, you know, I, I want you to announce and offer my victory throughout all the nations. Because when Jesus does come back and finally does away with sin and Satan, well, if we're on the side of sin and Satan, that's bad news for us. And, and Christ died so that his victory could be our victory before he comes back and does away with sin. And if he didn't do that, then when Jesus did away with sin, he'd have to do away with me because I'm a sinner. Sometimes I follow Satan both, um, you know, by mistake, but also that, you know, th that's what sin is. It's, it's choosing to go uh, follow the path of Satan instead of the path of Christ. And so Jesus offers that victory, and we need that. And in the meantime, until he totally does away with sin, Satan, and the evil systems of the world, he's saying, I want your victory. I want my victory. I want you to take my victory and not only have it grow in your own heart and become more part of your life so you can experience that victory in every interaction you have, I want you to go share that victory so that new hearts will become, not Bob Newhart, but new hearts will, um, <laughs> will start to be transformed by Christ. And that's what, that's what he means in Matthew 28, okay, our scripture. This is a, a scripture most of us know, but Matthew 28, verse 18 says, And Jesus came and said to them, this is the resurrected Jesus. He's already died and rose from the dead in victory. He says, All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus, he's risen victorious over sin, death, and Satan. So he has authority over all things. He says, all right, I've had this victory. Now I have authority. I've got, again, I've, I've beaten sin, Satan, and all this. And so now I'll be with you as you go, as my followers, you go and bring that victory to all the nations. So that it's not just a little band of disciples who understand Jesus' victory and are living in that victory. Rather, it spreads to all the nations so that even here we are in South Hadley, Massachusetts, way far away from Jerusalem. And yet that message is continuing to go out and change hearts until the end of the age. That's the age where Jesus returns. Now, another verse that talks about this is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And this this verse is going to be read by some of our Awana kids. Now, this is one of the, now, we're just memorizing seven scriptures for February. The Awana kids, they measure, memorize all sorts of scriptures. And this one, uh, Acts chapter 1, 8, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria. Everybody say, Acts. Acts 1, 8. 8. And you, and you will receive power.
Nice. So Acts 1.8, that's the verse they said. It says, there it is up there. Um, it's basically Jesus saying the same thing in a different way. So in Matthew 28, right, uh, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Go and, and make disciples of all the nations. Here Jesus is saying the same thing. The power is going to come upon you, the Holy Spirit, and now you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Again, announcing Jesus' victory, being a witness to the fact that Jesus did indeed die for our sins and rose from the dead. And that's why, you know, here at Second Baptist Church, a part of our mission is to grow Christ followers, right? It's worship God, love people, and grow Christ followers, that this is the mission Jesus gave. And that mission, we, the reason we say grow Christ followers and not just make Christ followers is that there's two very important aspects that you need both, right? That we need to make new disciples so that a part of our mission is so that new hearts, new people come and believe in Jesus and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. That has to be a part of it. That's how we advance God's kingdom. But at the same time, we also we, we want to understand that growth, right? We're making disciples, not converts. So that if you just say, you know, mimic some words, well, well no, it's growing as a follower of Jesus. And as Jesus grows in our hearts and, and begins to take over more uh, of our hearts, then we naturally want to share that good news with others. They bo both, they go hand in hand. And one of the things that Jesus does advances his kingdom is through people. So that as you go and, and meet a new neighbor and, and simply say, it can be as simple, uh, being a witness can simply be, yeah, you know what, I follow Jesus or Jesus changed my life. And through that, that starts that announcement of Jesus' victory in your life to someone else. Then that can plant a seed. And then that person also can then confess with their mouth of the Lord Jesus. But they go together. But we also can't go to the other side of, of the spectrum and say, yeah, we're all about just growth. Growing disciples, if you grow as a disciple, that's it. We always have to have this edge and this urgency about making new disciples. Right? Because if we're going to truly advance God's kingdom, that means new hearts are being changed. And, and so if, say, Second Baptist, you know, we grow to 300 people, 400 people, but it's all just people who are already Christians because, you know, the church down the road's having issues or something, that's, that's not building the kingdom. No, it's, I mean, yes, we still want to grow and, and, and be concerned with people who are already Christians. That's a, yes, that's a part of it. But we can never lose our edge and our urgency that new people need to hear the message. And so as we look and we, as we look at our baptisms and we look at folks who have become Christians through our ministry, it's an important metric. We have to continue to measure that. And there's an urgency there. So as a fellow believer, I'm just going to tell you this straight up. I am going to defer to reaching new people and expect as a, as a believing Christian Right, that you will defer to wanting to see that new person become a Christian because they're going to hell. And we don't, and if we love them, if we care for people, we want them to, to truly come to grips with this Jesus Christ and how he died for them. So we must always maintain that urgency for the, the non-believer. 
Again, it doesn't mean we forget growing disciples. They they go together is my point. And that's why a part of our mission is to grow disciples. But it has to always include, all right, are we reaching people who haven't heard that good news? Because that's one of the tactics Satan will use. So that as we go about this, we can say, yes, a part of our job in spiritual warfare is to advance the kingdom of God through the gospel. Well, it's, it's not all unicorns and rainbows we, because you can say, all right, that's good news. Jesus died for your sins. He loved you. Uh, you know, you, you um, don't have to be separated from God. Yes, we fall short of God's glory, but Jesus can restore that. Like that seems like good news. But, you know, the reality of it is when you say to people, yeah, Jesus changed my life. I follow Jesus. He's forgiven all my sins. A lot of people will say, so what? I mean, that's good for you. Or I don't believe that. You see, this is a rescue mission. And just like when the enemy has a hold of, uh, of people in the, in the physical world, in the spiritual world, Satan doesn't let people go that easy. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 through 5 says it this way. It says that someone apart from Christ, it says, in their case, the God of this world, okay, that's not that's not Jehovah God, that's not um, Yahweh, oh, th- he's talking about Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Christ, say. So again, when the, rea- the reality is that when we share the gospel, sometimes it's not received, it's not believed. Because again, Satan has blinded folks' eyes. So Satan has tactics. I just want to touch on those tactics that he will often use to, to keep the gospel from going out. Number one, he will stop the proclaiming of the gospel. Meaning that, that any way that Satan can keep people from hearing that good news, like that's a win. Because that is what saves us. That is what transforms us. Jesus dying for our sins. He can do that in many ways. One is persecution. right? In many other countries, it is illegal to proclaim the gospel or people will beat you up when you share the gospel. And in fact, one of those areas where there's a lot of that going on is what's called the 1040 window. And, you know, the most of the nations in that window are predominantly Muslim nations. And so you wouldn't be surprised when the Crusades and all of that stuff have put up, the, have put up walls where people say, no, of course you can't bring that Jesus stuff in there because then, you know, you invade us. Like you, by the sword, have, have shown that you want to convert us. So all these nations put up these strict laws. But Satan will use that. He will use government systems to put in persecution to keep the gospel from going out. Because if you're dead, you're not proclaiming the gospel. Or if you're in jail, you're proclaiming the gospel only to your jailers. So that's one way, tactic of Satan. Now here in the United States, usually Satan will use a different tactic, and that's to cause you and I to clam up, to not share the good news. For many reasons, because it's not popular, because it's so countercultural, because we don't want to offend people. But if Satan can get us from stopping to proclaim the gospel, then again, that is a win for him. The other thing Satan may do, another tactic, is having us share a false gospel. Right? When I say a gospel, so that when people start to think, how do I get victory 
over sin? How do I get enjoy that victory with God? And a false gospel will come and fill that in so that uh, many people think, well, if I'm just do more good than bad, like th- that's how I have victory. No, that, that's not the gospel. The gospel is we've died, Christ died for our sins because we needed a savior. Or on the other end of the spectrum, um, God would never forgive me. Like, I've done too much bad, right? That's the opposite end. That's also not the gospel. No, the gospel is that, no, Jesus, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved from your sins no matter what it is. So on either end, we start to believe these lies, now, there's also false gospels given by Christians, like works. Oh, so if you just, you know, go to church, go to confession, you know, say this prayer, and then, you know, go through this sacrament and this sacrament and this sacrament, you will be saved. That's a works righteousness. That's a false gospel. No, we're saved by Christ dying for our sins. And there's the prosperity gospel. Oh, follow Jesus, and you'll have health and wealth. Well, that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus died for our sins, and he rose from the dead. On the third day. Or some other trip of checklist Christianity where, all right, if you mentally assent to this list of doctrines, you will be saved. No, the, the thing is, is do you, have you trusted in Christ? So there's many false gospels given out. The other thing Satan will do, another tactic he has is to have the gospel go out but it not be credible. In other words, not be believable. So that when someone shares the gospel of Jesus um, has victory over my sins, but then they continue to live in an egregious sin, people say, wait, how did that, how, did, how does that work? You, you said Jesus has victory over sins, but you just continue to walk in those sins. That doesn't look like victory to me. And like many of you, I know my heart was, was so heavy when I heard about um, Ravi Zacharias, a great apologist and evangelist who now after he's died has learned like you know, he, he was a sexual predator. And so now people say, wait a minute, you say Jesus had victory over sins, but yet you have no victory over that sin. And so it causes a wall to go up. It causes people to say, yeah, that's, how can Jesus really be that great when he's not even great enough to defeat that sin in your life? And a wall goes up to the gospel. Satan has all of these types of tactics. Or it can be as simple as, you know, you're trying to love your neighbor and you just lose patience with them and you start, you know, berating them or whatever. And, you know, and I say, wait a minute, I, I, thought Satan, I thought Jesus changed your life and defeated Satan in your life, and yet here you are. So Satan has all sorts of tactics he uses. So how do we combat that? How do we combat that? How do we advance God's kingdom and the power of God's spirit? Well, first of all, we need to know the gospel and then live by it. Know the gospel and live by it. As a seminary professor, one of the things I was often astounded at is I'd get these kids into um, seminary or Bible college, depending on which level they were, and I'd say, all right, biblically define the gospel. And a lot of them couldn't. 
And that's why, again, I've pointed out to 1 Corinthians. It's not do nice things. It's not follow religion. It's Jesus died for our sins, and he rose from the dead. So know the gospel and then live by it. You are likely the first pages of the Bible that some people are going to read. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, perfect. I mean, yes, we are striving, but it means that we're forgiven and we are forgiven. It's not a religious checklist. It's not self-help. It's this wonderful news that Jesus did what we could not do. He had victory over our sin, had victory over Satan, and had victory over the systems of the world, not just for himself, but on our behalf. The other way to combat it is just share, like testify. Share what God has done in your life and trust that God's word doesn't return void. You are not going to convert anybody, but the gospel will. The gospel and the spirit will. So it's not, don't think that, oh, I have to be perfect before I share the gospel because then someone might not believe you. Well, when it comes down to it, all of those people who became Christians through Ravi Zacharias' ministry, Ravi Zacharias didn't save them. He didn't die for their sins. Christ did. And so even if you've had experience with someone personally in your life who was a believer who's fallen from faith, and maybe they led you to faith, no, they didn't save you anyways. And so it's the gospel that saves. So too, just share what God has done and then pray. I appreciated that Chrissy prayed for some of our unbelieving friends. We need to pray and pray for our unbelieving friends. We need to pray for ourselves that God would give us opportunities. We need to pray that God would break down barriers because it is the spirit and the gospel that change people's heart. But you're not alone. It's not about your willpower. It's not about, it's not your message. It's not your strength. It's God's message, the gospel. It's God's strength of the spirit. And just continue to pray and let God and the gospel and the spirit do what only they can do. But that kind of stuff is engaged in the spiritual realm through prayer. So pray, pray for yourself, pray for revival, pray for opportunities. And then as a church, we need to keep our mission Um, really forefront in our mind that we can't settle for for, um, just doing this or doing that or even just gathering on a Sunday. No, our mission is to grow Christ followers. And that's how God's kingdom is expanded. And we have to have that urgency for non-believers knowing that, wait, this is a life and death thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to take a moment, as Chrissy just did a a few minutes ago, and Lord, bring to our mind those that we love who do not know you, and we lift them up. We pray that your gospel would change their hearts. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's here or listening, Lord, if, if, if they're just starting now to realize, wait a minute, this This good news is that Jesus died for my sin, and and Lord, you're doing that work in their hearts, that they're believing in their hearts that you rose from the dead. Lord, we, we pray now for them. We pray that they would be protected from Satan, that they would be growing in your word. And Lord, give us opportunities. And Lord, let us not be obnoxious because it's not about us. It's about you. 
that we don't feel compelled to share the gospel because we're supposed to. It's a religious thing we're supposed to do. But rather, you would fill us with your love so that because we love people, because, Lord, we are so overcome by your victory on our behalf, we would share this good news with others because they need to know it, Lord, and we love them, and we love you and your kingdom, and we want to advance it. Lord, protect our hearts, protect our church, Lord, so that we're not advancing our own agendas or a false gospel or protect us from false teaching. But rather, Lord, fill us with the good news of your grace and may that propel us, Lord, to advance your kingdom, Lord, in love and self-sacrifice. Forgive us how we've tried to advance your kingdom in worldly ways that just backfire and instead work in us and through us, through your power, through your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name.